Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The 360, fascinating conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Tim Brahim, and I'm super, super excited for this month's guest in the podcast. Um, you may or may not have heard of Chad Wright in the in the past. However, I think that after you're done listening to this interview, he will be etched in your memory for quite some time. Chad's a special guy. Um, he's an intense guy. Uh, he is an expert on performance. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Chad retired in 2019 after 10 years of being a successful Navy SEAL. He served as a team leader on multiple deployments and a uh, SEAL instructor and master training specialist. Um, he is currently a business owner, entrepreneur, and competitive ultra runner. And we'll get into that and unpack that in the interview, as well as a keynote speaker and a husband. He is a, a personal mindset coach for professional athletes and high profile entrepreneurs. Most of the valuable lessons that you're going to hear Chad share today were learned during his time as a Navy SEAL. Um, and a lot of what he's going to share are practical tools that you can use to conquer obstacles in your life. He's been featured on such podcasts as Lewis Howes and, uh, and Rich Roll. So maybe you've seen him there. Um, after an initial rejection by the United States Navy to attend SEAL training, Chad became the first person ever and only person ever to uh, to to pass as a naval special warfare uh, individual after having undergone open heart surgery, which is quite remarkable. And we will talk about that in the podcast today. So he was rejected because he had a, uh, a benign cyst on his heart. Um, he was told no, he couldn't fulfill his lifelong dream, but he didn't take no for an answer. And he pushed forward and eventually flawlessly uh, was able to compete and pass and receive his Navy SEAL um, certification. Um, Chad's never quit mentality is, is unbelievable. And I think that you're going to, you're going to really hear about that today. He and I have been fortunate enough to spend some time together. He was the guest speaker at our leadership 360 masters retreat in Costa Rica back in November of 2000. 2021. And uh, we'll unpack a little bit about what that experience was like in our interview. So without further ado, I welcome you to the 360 and my interview with Chad Wright. Chad, what is up, man? Tim, what's up, brother? It's good to see you. Wait, that's a big bottle of water, dude. You got me beat. I had a thought I had a big bottle of water. Yeah, well, that's by accident. I'm usually a Nalgene guy, but um, I did a, I just finished up a run and a sauna uh, I've been used to the sauna here lately, and so I had to get me a little bigger jug because uh, I've done some sweating this morning. I would have hammered through that Nalgene too quick. How many how many hundred miles did you run today? Mm. <laughs> you know, this morning I did about a ten mile trail run. Um, I'm, I'm I you know I've been I've taken a little time off of running. I'm just easing back into it. So about ten miles this morning, and got into the sauna right after. And uh, I'm going to call it a day. And I'm, I, you know, running, you got to ease into it. Uh, if, if any of the listeners want to start running, which I highly recommend, highly, running has changed my life. And we'll talk about that more later. But if you want to start running, you got to ease into it, right? And even for me, I've been running for a long time. I'll take long breaks from running where four or five months where I'm letting my body just recover and heal and, um, and every time I get back into a training cycle, I'm easing into it a little at a time. 
that's the way everything works, man. You'll hurt yourself if you don't. Before we dive into your your background and all that, I just since we're on the topic, I want to ask you a quick question. When you're when you're just doing like your normal running, like I remember when we were in Costa Rica, uh, you you were just you just said, "Well, I don't need a rent car, man. I'll run everywhere." I mean, you're like, "I don't. I am the car," you know. So, like, how how far do you run like in a typical day when you're in training? 20, 30 miles? Is that normal or if so if I'm in a training cycle, um, I will run, I'm going to say, I'll give you a weekly average. A weekly average would be about 80 miles a week. Okay. So that could be split up, um, in, in any way, shape or form. Usually my longest run that I'm going to do in training, is going to be somewhere around 20 miles, 20, 25 miles. If you if you run further than that in training, it starts to become actually detrimental. See, running 100 miles is not actually good for you. It's not good for you. It's not surprising to hear. (laughs) It's good for your mind. Now, it strengthens your mind, and it it prepares you for um, the difficulties that you might face in life. You learn a lot about yourself and a lot about how to uh, accomplish your goals in a hundred mile race, it's actually one thing that I recommend every human do at least one time is run a hundred mile race. You know, there's a few of them, ride a bull, jump out of an airplane, run a hundred mile race. That's one that's on the list because you learn so much about yourself, but yeah, 80 miles a week is, is average. And then I'll also do some strength training. Uh, I really enjoy, enjoy CrossFit type, um, functional fitness. It supplements my running, keeps me strong, you know, I don't ever want to be this skinny guy that can't really defend myself. You know, some of my running buddies, I feel like if they turn sideways, they could hide behind a spaghetti noodle. And I'm like, hey, man, <laughs> if you ever have to get in a fight, you're screwed, man. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's really fascinating what you just said. And I don't want to skip over that. Um, so so the, the, the distance running that you do, and we'll unpack that, I'm sure, in this interview, uh, is more a mental training than a physical training. And I think that's something that's going to come, come about very clear in our conversation today as to how important the mental game is. In fact, um, you know, I think I view you as being just that a mental fitness coach uh, in a lot of ways, if, if I, if I could use that phrase Um, and I, and I want to dive into that, but I think that before we do, I think it's very valuable for everybody to just know a little bit about you. So, um, when did you decide that you wanted to become a Navy SEAL? What led you up to that? And you hit a big, big, gigantic hurdle that was like the ultimate test. And you you overcame that. Tell us a little bit about that history. Yeah, yeah, totally, Tim. And before I dig into that, I want to touch on what you just said. You're exactly right. Look, when we talk about running later on in this conversation, think about this. Fitness and running is an enabler, not a skill. All right. The running is a conduit to make you better at whatever skill set you're practicing in life. Wow. Right. Okay. So think about it that way. So if you're not a runner, don't tune out when we talk about running because it is a great enabler that's going to make you better at whatever the valuable skill you practice in your life, whatever it is. All right. Um, my Super background. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Uh, my background. So. Yes, I grew up here in the mountains of North Georgia, and um, uh, somehow I became a Navy SEAL, and uh, I'll tell you a little bit about how that happened. Um, 
I was, uh, I was, I graduated high school in 2006 and, um, I didn't do very well at school. Uh, the culture here in rural Georgia, uh, it's, uh, it's not very conducive to higher education, at least where I was. Okay. Um, college wasn't something that I was interested in. And uh, I kind of just went the normal route that most of my classmates uh, went. And that was to get into construction or, or farming or some type of skilled trade, which are, are, that's a great way to go, right? But for me personally, I tried that and I did not find satisfaction in that. Um, I went to work just as a farm hand and uh, managing a farm and cattle and building fences and good, honest day's work, but I just, there was something in me that was calling me to, to serve um, and be a part of something bigger than just myself or that small community uh, where I was living and where I was born and raised. And so I started searching uh, and uh, the military came up as an option. And of course, every young man when they first decide the military might be an option for them, the first place they go is to the Marine Corps recruiter. And so that's where I went. I had a few meetings with a Marine Corps recruiter. And to tell you how ignorant I was back then, I thought everyone in the military simply went to war, went to fight. And that's what I wanted to do. That's what I decided I wanted to do. I thought that's all the military was. Um, during the second appointment with my Marine Corps recruiter, I found out that he was a truck driver, a logistics guy in the Marine Corps. And I was so ignorant, I thought, well, I don't want to join an organization where I could potentially wind up being a truck driver. Uh, I, I could do that out here. I, I want to go fight war. And um, so I got off the Marine Corps and I, I started searching uh, for a unit that, that went went to fight, right? And I, I found this thing called the, the SEAL teams, the Navy SEALs. I didn't have any clue what a SEAL was. Um, and so what really drew me to the SEALs, two parts. One, the SEALs are direct action unit. So their only purpose is to go fight, direct action, bring the fight to the enemy. I really liked that. The second part, and probably the biggest part that drew me to the SEALs, and not some other special operations unit is the fact that SEAL training is touted as the toughest military training in the world. And there's something hardwired in me ever since I was a little kid that if I go do something, I want to take it to the extreme. I just want to take it to the max. I don't know what it is. I don't know if that's inherent in me, um, but I really like pushing the limits of whatever it is that I have decided to do with my life or my time. And so I had to pass a test to get a SEAL contract, a physical standards test. And I had never played sports. I had never ran for fitness. I didn't even know how to swim. Well, this test that I had to pass, it, um, it required me to run and swim and do push-ups and pull-ups and all this stuff. And it took me about three months to pass that test. I would go take it every week and I would fail it. 
And finally, after a few weeks, I got to where I could pass certain parts of it. Like maybe one week I would pass the swim and the push-ups, but I would fail the run. Um, finally, I put all the pieces together and, and I passed that test. After about three months, I passed it one time and I got my seal contract. And man, I thought, I thought I had hit the jackpot, man. I was finally fit enough to pass this test. I got my seal contract and I got to go to Navy boot camp. All right. Navy boot camp. I show up. It's about two months long. Nothing crazy. Every seal has to go through Navy boot camp first because we have to be sailors before we can be seals. Uh, the seal teams are actually part of the Navy. And um, I make it all the way through boot camp and we get to the last day on the last day of boot camp, We had a big final training exercise. It's about 48 hours long. It's pretty dynamic. Um, and after you finish that training exercise, you march across the base and you get to exchange your, your hat that says recruit for a hat that says Navy. So now when you get this hat that says Navy, you're officially a sailor. You made it through Navy boot camp and you're part of the Navy. You're no longer a recruit. Well, as uh, we get in formation to march to this ceremony uh, to finish boot camp, my drill instructor, uh, one of them, pulls me aside out of formation, and he said, Chad, you have got to go to medical, and, uh, and the doctor needs to talk to you. They found something on your physical that they need to talk to you about, and I thought, well, that's odd, but uh, probably nothing to really be concerned about. I feel good. I'm healthy. Uh, never had any issues. I had other medical checks leading up to uh, boot camp. Um, but in boot camp, they really run you through the mill and make sure everything's good to go. Um, I break formation and I go over to the medical office and I walk into the, to the uh, doctor's office and he sits me down in a chair and he proceeds to tell me that during my physical, a uh, part of that physical is a chest X-ray. And when they reviewed that chest X-ray, they found that I have a, or had a seven centimeter pericardial cyst on my heart. Um, the interesting thing about this cyst is I told you guys just a minute ago, I felt fine. I could run, I could hit all the performance standards. The interesting thing is this cyst is asymptomatic. All right. That's the reason I had had it probably for the majority of my life. And I never realized it and it had never been uh, caught or, or you know, we had never found it up until this point. It was asymptomatic, but the Navy was worried after they reviewed this pericardial cyst, which is a rare condition too, by the way. They were worried that when I dive underwater, if I became a SEAL, you know, when you dive underwater, the pressure changes. Yeah. And they were worried that the pressure change could potentially burst the walls of this cyst. A pericardial cyst is, is filled with fluid. And um, if the cyst burst, it could potentially put me in cardiac arrest. Other than that, they had no concerns about it. <laughs> None at all. Other than that, but that's yeah. a pretty big one, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and so, but the, here's the problem. As a SEAL, that would require me to dive. SEAL stands for sea, air, and land. Every SEAL is a combat diver. And um, he said, so Chad... Here's, here's the deal. The, the, the surgery to remove this cyst 
is, is risky. Um, as a matter of fact, he said, you are the first Naval Special Warfare candidate that we have ever seen ha have this condition. Uh, they didn't have any surgeons in the entire Navy that had ever performed a surgery to remove a pericardial cyst. Um, and so they said, this is risky. Uh, it's not worth it because it's asymptomatic. So we're not going to give you the option to have surgery. Uh, but that being said, you will never be able to be a SEAL because of this cyst on your heart. And we're not going to remove it. So just forget about that. You're not going to be able to be a SEAL. Um, we can send you out to the regular Navy and you can find a job uh, and, and have a great career. And it just destroyed me, man. It that was really like the door being slammed right in your face, right? I mean... Yeah. And you have to understand how bad I, I told you, I have this thing in my mind where when I set my mind to something, um, I become consumed with it. And so that's where I had set my mind on becoming a seal. This was my goal in life was to achieve, uh, this, this status or to go through this training and become a seal. I didn't have anything, man. When I left home, I got, I got rid of my vehicle. I had nothing, no clothing. Uh, I had absolutely no possessions. I had this one specific goal. There was no plan B. I guess I'm trying to say that. And uh, so when he took that from me, it just, uh, it was really, really tough to hear that. And I actually decided, uh, he, my other option was to get out of the Navy. Uh, because essentially my contract had been breached, right? I couldn't be a SEAL. So I had two options, go to the regular Navy or get out of the Navy completely. And that's the option I chose was to get out of the Navy. If I couldn't do what I had decided I wanted to do, um, I didn't, I didn't want to do anything. I want to get into some things that you've shared in a moment, but, but, take us to the end of this story before we do, because I don't want to interrupt your flow. So um, door was slammed in your face. You exited the Navy. Mm -hmm. What took place after that? Uh, I got out of the Navy. I showed up back here in the little hometown that I grew up in. And it was a really, really difficult time in my life. Uh, I was, I was, I, I didn't think I had any, I didn't, see i couldn't see any route that was going to take me uh in the direction i wanted to go and um when i showed back up at home another thing that made it hard was all these people that knew me from my hometown they all knew i was going to try to become a seal and they all knew i was they they knew when i left um and so when i showed back up of course, they all laughed at me because none of them believed I was going to be able to achieve this goal anyways. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm just Chad, man. Like, there's no way Chad's going to be able to be part of the most elite fighting force known to man. There's no way. So when I came back home, of course, they all just thought, well, of course you're back home, Chad. Of course you didn't make it. And that's hard because I'm trying to explain to these people, no, I actually have a heart condition that, that stopped me from proceeding. And they don't understand that, man. They don't believe that. And I get that, man. No, you know, nobody, 
there's a there's a funny saying nobody quits buds everybody quits buds but that's never their story all the guys that quit they have an excuse so I get that man they thought this was my excuse for not making it I've got a heart condition whatever um but man I'm going to tell you eventually that 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 depression and that frustration it started to turn to anger Mm. and and that anger actually got me up off the freaking ground man and it started to fuel me and say it started to just well up in me to the point where i said no i i'm gonna find a surgeon that will cut my freaking chest open and take this cyst off of my heart so that I can at least have a chance to go and do what I said I was going to go do. And so I, I, I got up off the freaking ground metaphorically and literally, <laughs> and, and, and I started to make appointments with, um, with heart surgeons in Atlanta. And I went to three different surgeons. The first two told me the same thing that the Navy doctor told me. If you can imagine, I'm an 18-year-old kid walking into the office of this heart surgeon saying, hey, will you give me elective open-heart surgery to remove a cyst uh, so that I can go be a SEAL? They were like, this is ridiculous. No, we, we highly, highly recommend that you don't do this. As a matter of fact, we don't want to perform this surgery on you um, because this cyst is never going to bother you and you're probably not going to make it through SEAL training anyways. Uh, finally, on the third time I saw a surgeon, his name was Dr. Cooper. Dr. Cooper was, uh, was in the army, uh, as a reservist and he understood my passion for wanting to go and serve my nation and my passion for wanting to go be a part of the SEAL teams, or at least have a chance at that. And he said, all right, man, I'll do this for you. I've never done, I've never removed a pericardial cyst before, but I'll cut your chest open and we'll go in there and we'll take a look at it and we'll figure out a way to remove it. <laughs> and I said, all right, man, that's the answer I wanted. I just want to, I just, I'll give everything if you'll do this. And um, went in to surgery. Uh, the, the surgery was successful. Dr. Must have been was, nervous going into surgery, right? I mean. Yeah, you know, that's, um. That's really, it's interesting that you say that because that's really the, there was a moment that I almost didn't go through with it. And it was actually on the morning of the surgery. The surgery was super early in the morning. And uh, I woke up, we woke up at like four that morning and I got in the vehicle with my mom and dad. And of course they were driving me to the hospital. I think the pre-op stuff, you know, prep was started around 5.30. And on that drive, it was dark. We were all tired and on that drive. The last thing you want to do at four in the morning is drive to the hospital for a heart surgery when yeah. you feel fine. <laughs> yeah. And I'll never forget. I looked over at my father and I, I said, dad, do you uh, really think that I should do this, man? And he said, well, Chad, to be honest with you, the reality is if you don't go through with this, then you will never become a SEAL. You, you won't get to do this. So make up your mind now. And um, 
you know, that really helped me just, just to see the, the, just to be reminded of the black and white of this scenario that I was in. Yeah. Let me, let me comment on that. One of the things that we work on with our clients a lot is a concept of using fear as your friend. And that's what I, what I'm really hearing that your father did there is he created a scenario where the fear of not doing it was greater than the fear of doing it Mm -hmm. because the consequence of not doing it was your dream, not being fulfilled. And he created a a psychological structure for you to where um, that fear was the catalyst to you fulfilling your destiny, right? Super powerful moment in your life there with your dad. Wow. Mm -hmm. That is so true. I love the way you put that, Tim. That's a beautiful way to boil it down uh, and make it applicable. Before we continue, I want to, I want to touch on something. You, you, you made mention of the fact that, you know, ever since you were little, um, you can only remember that you were the guy that really was, was fixated on, on, um, breaking through tough challenges, you know, confronting difficult moments, being the best that you can be. I'm so su- I'm always super curious about this concept because there are people that, um, are just extraordinarily driven in life, in their business, in their, in their athletic prowess, et cetera. And I actually just read a book. I'm a huge baseball fan, by the way. Um, and I read this this amazing book that um, my wife got me called The Baseball 100, which is story of the 100 greatest baseball players of all time. Each chapter is dedicated to a story. And so many of them overcame adversity. And the catalyst in so many cases was their father, who may have, maybe was hard on them. And they were looking to, through their whole career, try to prove them you know, prove their worth, prove their value, prove their father wrong. Maybe if they had an abusive father, things like that. And it, and it always begs to the, to the subject of nature versus nurture. So you've described it from your perspective as almost being an, uh, a nature thing where you were born into this incarnation of being self-motivated and driven and, and the con the, the confronter of fear is ingrained in your personality and I, and I, I wonder sometimes, is it that some people are just wired that way or is it always nurture where there's an event that happens in their youth that where they were laughed at or made fun of or told that they couldn't do something or lost out on something very important that they wanted that, that became that anger, that, that energy of anger that you're talking about. Is there any event that you can cite that, that was like that seedling early in life that made you the person that you are, that person that really wants to take on challenge? You know, I love that we have these conversations, Tim, because, you know, when you, when you present those, you know, that different angle, um, it, it even makes me reflect on, on aspects of myself. And, uh, you know, I can't think of a certain moment, but, but I will tell you that uh, it was my mother was one that always pushed me. Uh, my mother was one that always held me to a high standard. Um, and and for, for instance, uh, I, I'll remember, I'll tell you, when I was in middle school, I wanted a backpack, a new backpack. And um, my family was, was fairly, uh, I don't want to say poor, but we didn't have a lot of extra money. And so it was a big deal for me to get a new backpack. And so my mother said, uh, she was an athlete, a triathlete. And she said, if you want your backpack, you've got to come on a six mile trail run with me. And she made me run 
six miles with her. And the deal was if I ran every step of that six miles, and these were tough trails, uh, that she would buy me the backpack. So, you know, I have to believe that those nurture moments that were provided by my mother of pushing me, holding me to a high standard, uh, setting the standard, living that by example, as a triathlete, my mother, uh, is the only one in my family with a college education. She has a master's degree. She's been a teacher now for over 20 years. Um, so she really lived that standard out. She, she earned her degree while she was raising us. Um, and, 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 you know, so that really might be a huge driver in why I, why I am the way I am. So it may not be as much of a hardwired thing when I consider it from that angle. It's a you really know, good point, man. You know, the thing, thank you. The thing that I, that I want to say to the listeners here that I think is so critically important. Um, I'm somebody who, um, you know, was raised to a high standard as well. Um, in particular by my mom, she's very much a perfectionist and there, there are these times where I see people go through the maturation of their life and then maybe even have some resentment um, towards the person who made them live to this high standard. Uh, they come to this awareness that maybe they're too driven or they're too perfectionistic. And then they have resentment towards the, the, the person who instilled that in them. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is to be grateful, right? Because um, who you are today, who I am today, who everybody that's listening to this call is to this moment in their life is a byproduct of certain events that occurred throughout their life in many cases that, that made them who they are. And we could look at those people as perpetrators in some cases, or we could look at them as gift bearers. It's just your choice as to how you want to frame it up. Um, there are just far too many yeah, maybe there's some things where I wish I was a little more chilled out at times, you know, and I look at my mom, I'm like, yeah, I got that from you. But there are way too many things that I'm really proud of about myself that I got from her. And then, and to that point, that's where I want to keep my focus is on that gratitude. So before we continue with the story about, you know, then, you know, after the surgery and all that, I want to, I want to hit on one more thing. So you wanted to quit, or at least you thought about quitting when you were lying on the floor and you were depressed and, and all those things. And I think everybody's been through at least one time or another in their life. And, and you, you work with, with athletes, you work with successful entrepreneurs, you work with mindset, which we're going to dive deeply into here in a moment. Um, what, what, how do you coach people? What do you say to people who are in that place where they're stuck? Like, like they're, they don't see a path, as you said, like, You've had to work through that. You have to work through that when you're running a hundred mile race. You had to work through that in this issue with your, with your surgery. What are the mechanisms? Is there any suggestions, tips, coaching advice you have for people when they feel stuck to get unstuck? Yeah. I mean, we could definitely, we could sit down and do a whole podcast on just that, but uh, I'd say the one that comes to mind is, um, I've learned something throughout the course of my life, and uh, it's a, it's a, it's I can sum it up on one in one sentence. Uh, growth only comes through tension. Growth only comes through tension. So those moments where you do feel stuck, where you feel tension, where you don't see the way forward. Those moments are the grand opportunity 
for you to grow, right? And if it was not for those moments, if you go through life and you don't experience those moments, I feel bad for you. But you have to reconcile with the fact that growth only comes through tension and then it changes your perspective on those periods of time where you do feel stuck and you say, man, this is my grand opportunity if I will just get up and just keep going to launch into something that's greater than I could have ever achieved without this struggle that I'm currently in. Well, hello, friends, and I hope that you're enjoying this episode of the 360 Experience podcast. To listen to the remainder of this episode, please visit us at The Loan Atlas, where you will also find the most comprehensive resource for mortgage professionals to build their practice, backed by the greatest faculty that's ever been assembled in the mortgage industry. Check us out at the link below or go to theloanatlas.com. Look forward to having you as a guest on our next episode of the 360 Experience Podcast.